And you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota, Clearwater Community. I'm Mary uh, Community Radio. Hi, I'm Mary Glennie, and I'm Marlene Engelhart. And you are listening to From a Woman's Point of View. We're so glad to have you with us this morning, and for all the years that you've been with us, thank you so very much. And uh, before we get into the uh, meat of the show, so to speak, uh, Arlene and I have an announcement, and I'm going to read this. I think it's almost impossible to find the right words to say goodbye. I am leaving you. I'm falling back on the native words and the belief that it is never goodbye. It is, I will see you down the road. This week and next week will be my last shows as a programmer on From a Woman's Point of View. Several months ago, I decided it was about time for me to resign as a regular program at WMNF and recent health issues have shown me that this was a wise decision. It has been such a joy and a privilege to come to you these last 25 years. I cannot thank you enough for supporting me in this station so we could do it. I've always felt that WMNF is a very special tribe of people who believe not only in other people, but in justice, liberty, and that all voices should be heard. It is truly rare to have people in this corporate world where one size seemingly fits all, to have people who realize that everyone's size is constantly growing throughout one's life. I cannot thank you enough for your faith and confidence in me. And it's not just been a me program, but a team effort. Arlene and I have worked together and cherish all of it. Again, thanks, too, for your confidence in this station. It is proudly yours. In peace and love, Mary G. and Arlene. (laughs) And we mean every word of it. Yes, we do. Okay, well, let's get into the stuff at hand. So let's do a little announcement here. Hey, this is Frankie Mopo with the Red Shirt Jukebox Show. I'm here pushing the buttons every Wednesday morning, 4 to 6 a.m. Every week we'll start out the show in the early 50s and progress through the 60s. Music is memories. So let's journey through our lives together. If you can't make it in person, the show's available 24-7 at WMNF.org. The Retro Jukebox, every Wednesday morning, 4 to 6 a.m. on your community conscious radio station, WMNF. Okay, and again, you are listening to WMF Tampa, Sarasota Clearwater Community Conscious Radio. And uh, we've got a really, I think, a really interesting show today. First, we're going to start with Diane Delano, and we're going to be talking about our wild horses. And then we're going to be bringing in a true wild horse, uh, Lisa Perry, just an extraordinary activist in this area. And she has so much that she's working on that we want to share. So I'm going to put this music on, Laura Love, and then uh, we will come back with uh, Diane Delano. Guy was big and really big, in fact he was a giant. It was smaller, much by far, but not quite microscopic. His name was Davy, the short one, the big guy was Goliath. I don't read the Bible much, in fact it's more like never. But I still think it's really cool and Davy kicked his butt. Sometimes Davy wins. 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 Sometimes Davy w
I'm going to pod this song down by Laura Love because, indeed, sometimes <laughs> sometimes people do win. Okay, and so I want to welcome to the show Diane Delano of the Wild Horse Rescue Center. She's in Webster. And Diane Delano, welcome so much to the show. Diane? Oh, I guess we lost Diane. Well, I'll just put Laura Love back on, and then we will... We will uh, come back with uh, with Westmandogo. Guy was big and really big. In fact, he was a giant. It was smaller, much by far, but not quite microscopic. His name was Davy, the short one. The big guy was Goliath. I don't read the Bible much. In fact, it's more like never. But I still think it's really cool and Okay, let's try this one more time. Diane, can you hear me? I sure can. Oh, great. We can hear you because we do want to talk to you about your Wild Horse Rescue Center in Webster. And so, Diane, I, I must admit, I've always had a terrific fondness for horses. I think they're really very beautiful animals. I'm, I'm more familiar with thoroughbreds and Arabians than Mustangs. Uh, but reading your article in the Tampa Bay Times, I was absolutely fascinated. So, number one, how long have you been doing this? About 31 years. I got involved in 1988 and actually had my first adoption in 89. But as far as Mustangs, I got to tell you, my first Mustang I've seen is 1975. But since 1975, I wanted an American wild horse. And why did you want an American wild horse? I call them feral horses, but wild is just as good. Uh, Well. Why? Why did you want one? Okay. Two things. One is. Um, I, being an animal child my entire life, I was 13 in 1975, and I saw my first Mustang come to a boarding barn that I was at, and he was just majestic. He was beautiful, and he was tame, and he only stayed a short period of time, but I just fascinated by the fact that you could take this wild horse, 
untouched by somebody and make it into this gentle, riding, beautiful animal. And so I just, everything about wild horses. I grew up in the era, 1975 was the first adoptions. 1971, the bill passed to save the Mustangs. And 1973, they actually started adopting them out. So by 1975, uh, it was a known program. Uh, there were $125 to get this wild horse. And um, it was pretty incredible. I still kept horses my entire life. I wasn't until I was almost, uh, what, 28 years old when I got involved to actually adopt a horse with my girlfriend. And then I went back about six months, eight months later, and I adopted one for myself. And then ever since then, I, I started just adopting. And I realized um, as I met more people and Mustangs, that the horses had a people problem, not just because they were a wild horse. It was what people had done to them to make them so afraid. Yeah, what did people do? Well, they overstimulate them. These animals are like having a wild deer. If you had a deer in your um, how in a in a pen, uh -huh. or if you had a feral cat, a lot of people can compare them to feral cats. At first, that feral cat is super afraid of coming near you, and then next thing you know. A feral cat is coming up to you, and you're actually able to touch it. It's the same thing with the Mustangs. The Mustangs um, are really afraid, so you give them a safe place to be. You provide food and water, and then you provide a program that is kind of um, like body language. That's how they live, by horses or by body language. So you go into the pen to clean and we use square pens that helps the horse move around and look at you. Then you can use something like a cane pole to get your first touch. And the reason I say a cane pole is because I could be 10 feet away and I could rub that horse on his withers. And then I could work my way up that pole and touch him. Wild horses are incredible to work with. Damaged wild horses to work with is really tough. It is really almost, some of them are almost unfixable. Uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, I guess you could call it, in horses. Yeah, and I was interested that you actually provide all kinds of healing for these horses, not the least of which is acupuncture, reiki, etc. In other words, you bring all the modalities into play. And, you know, I'm really interested because I'm much more familiar with horses, actually, uh, being very beneficial to autistic children. And uh, also that uh, horses many times have been used uh, for therapies, women with breast cancer and other forms of cancer. It seems that horses really could tune in if you have this kind of a serious illness and they will they, they, they will offer kind of their empathy or if you can get near them, they will really try and comfort you. And so I'm really fascinated with those aspects of their real connection to people in terms of healing. And have you had much uh, many children or, or, or people like that come to your center? I have. I have had people come uh, with their autistic children, not in a program, which I do need a program, but I have to have a therapist for a real program. Uh -huh. I've allowed people to come. I've allowed people to come to the center and bring their children. I had a, a case many years ago. The gentleman brought him for seven years to my center. This was over in MIMS, and I seen an autistic Down syndrome young man go from no interaction to interacting, winning like the horse, 
watching me work with horses, bringing me all the halters, even though I didn't need them. He, he knew that I used halters to work these horses and rope, um, play ball with the dogs. So it really opened him up. And I know that the father, Bill, said all he had to say was, let's go see the horses. And he would run and get his shoes that were the shoes that he wore to the barn. <laughs> and, and, and you know that with COVID, it has changed all of our lives. And I was really fascinated to see that people from Europe really come over. They would, they would come over and they would like, to them, that is America, the Wild West. It is the Mustangs. It is the horses. And so they would spend time at the center and they wanted to be around these horses. Uh, but now with COVID, that this has cut this off or is it beginning to, to recover yet or what? People coming from Europe? Um, well, not at all. No, not, not we at all. We don't have anybody. No. We, at March of last year was the last of our, uh, March 13th, actually, when we got the notification uh, that they had to go home. I had 11 people here with me. I had people from Belgium, Switzerland, Sweden, Germany, France, the UK. I had them from all over. And each of those people within a two-week time frame had to start making their arrangements and go back. Mm. And what was also sad is that was my money. Those are the people they paid to come and stay. So say one person's staying two weeks, somebody's staying two months. So when they left, we were 17000 in the deficit to them because that's what they were paying for that right. time frame at that day. But I was booked all the way to November because I could only take 10 people. With this new place that we moved to, we were only 10 and one coordinator. So that's why there was 11. With my old place, we were as many as 12 to 14. But when we moved from MIMS to um, where I'm at, I was at Lake Horny MIMS. I'm now in Webster. The house was smaller. So we had four in one room, three, three in one. And so we shortened the program a little bit. The thing is this. I've been seven years running with that program. It has supplied us with the hay for the horses, taking care of these people. And most of the people were 18 to 27. Mm -hmm. Now, I've had a lot of older people come. I think the oldest people I've had is uh, 69, 72. But most of the people are going to be young. And that really, really hurt us because... Each of those people were paying customers. I provided three meals a day, safe house. I have a little school bus that I'd pick you up and take you out for ecotourism. We would go kayaking or to Dog Beach or we'd go to a Native American festival or Earth Day. We didn't do like Disney and things like that, but they could do that, but not, not us as a group. Uh, we did go see winter. At the Marine Center you have over there. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. Water. I mean, we would do events once a week. We would go off-site to go see something or do something. And so I think that's why it's fascinating uh, that people from the villages, have they, they have their own uh, little newspaper, and they read uh -huh. a little article about it. And so some volunteers started to come. And I think it's fascinating that, uh, they, that they have found a whole new interest in their life. And so tell me about the volunteers that are coming now from the villages. 
Well, it's absolutely wonderful. Okay, this morning, I have, I should take a picture and post it. I have like eight cars sitting there right now. That means we have eight people down from the villages. We have George, who's been coming for over a year now. He's like a seasoned volunteer. He actually is was showing a new volunteer today how to clean, how to do the water. So he's moved up from having to do it all to now helping to teach people to do it. Uh, we have a husband and wife team. Uh, Pam is in there. She was cleaning our tack, uh, re-oiling the saddles. And her husband, Dick, was out. He was cleaning pens and scrubbing water buckets. We have Susan was down there cleaning right now. She's uh, grooming, and so is Linda. She's grooming right now. So it's wonderful having all these people. We also have Kat and Mary down there right now. And um, we also have that new gentleman, Mike, that's walking around trying to understand everything. And we have Odin. So I don't know if I'm over eight. We have Odin is watering buckets. Odin is an older gentleman, and he doesn't have a good back, so we're not he's not cleaning and doing anything heavy. But what he can do is walk around with the hoses and water everywhere that needs water. Well, you know, I think it's fascinating that rather than wanting to ride the horses so much, uh, that they are actually doing, so to speak, the, the, the heavy work, the, the kind of work, you know, mucking the stalls and grooming. I, I mean, it, well, in other words, to me, this is really quite interesting and I think very uh, rewarding. And it, 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 it's, it's, it's kind of the opposite of what I would think rather than them, you know, petting them and, and riding them. I think that's fabulous. Well, it is that bad. I'm watching right now because I've, I've walked away so I can talk on the show. So I'm, I'm watching from like a bird's view right now. Uh-huh. And I see, uh, I've got Kat, and she's in there with, we have a Pinto Mustang that came in from the kill pen. And I'm watching Kat right now interact with him, walking around with him, petting him. This is not only rewarding for them, it's very rewarding for these animals. So each of these people, when they come, um, if they're going to come on a regular basis, we're going to match him up. And Kat was drawn to this horse from the day she's seen him. So that's her project boy. That's who she's going to spend time with. George over there is with Pegasus. That's who he's spending time with. And then we have um, uh, Pam and uh, Dick. They're going to be grooming on some of our very tame, gentle horses. We also have elderly and gentle horses. So not everything I have here is, you know, fire-breathing wild we do have wild, we have horses that are afraid, but we also have a ton of horses. Um, we have adoption. I can tell you right now, um, the good Lord has been shining upon us because he has been bringing people to us to adopt. We adopted a horse yesterday. I have three more adoptions, one tomorrow and two on Saturday, and I had four last month. That's eight adoptions. So it is fantastic. These people are coming want to be with the horses. And, you know, I'm fascinated because, you know, I'm quite familiar with people adopting dogs and cats. That's understandable. But adopting a horse, I mean, uh, are there enough people that have the kind of space? I mean, don't you need, or do they board them someplace? I mean, in other words, it's not easy. You can't put a horse in your house. And so, <laughs> I, I mean, how much, how much land or a, a backyard and are there city ordinances that, that allow that? I mean, well, in other words, you're creating a city life here. How can they adopt a horse? Well, they have to have either a boarding stable or property. Actually, the horses that have all left and are leaving are on private property. Oh, okay. So each of those four people actually have five acres, 50 acres, 
uh, 12 acres. They all have a variety of land. And, uh, but you can adopt and board in a boarding barn as well. We're not opposed to, you know, boarding somewhere. I have three horses coming in on Friday. So it's kind of a revolving door. And I had one come in um, on Thursday of last week, a little wild Mustang mare, semi-handable from a gentleman who was 93, sadly uh, passed away, and had two horses, some dogs and cats, and Lake County uh, Animal Shelter had contacted me. And the little horse is difficult to handle. The other horse was able to go to another rescue, so we brought her in. And yesterday we had my vet, uh, Dr. Malone, is absolutely wonderful. He's an older vet and the farrier. And we had to use uh, a system called a squeeze. It's called a humane squeeze system. And that's where you use pipe panels to put the horse in like a triangular squeeze so that you could sedate. And she was mad. You seen? Oh, she was mad as hell um, <laughs> because the um, Lake County could not get her vaccines or Coggins or do her feet. She was not okay with being needled. She's really not okay with a lot of stuff. She's been very opinionated, and probably that gentleman that had her. She was underweight. The halter had grown into her face. Ooh. So when I see that, that tells me that you don't have good handling. Right. When you can't get a halter off a horse's oh. face and it actually indents the nose, oh. that tells me somewhere along the line he was unable to do that. I have actually taken bolt cutters and had to bolt cut them out of horses being growed into the skin. Oh, my. So that is a really horrible thing, but you got to realize if a halter is on that horse and you cannot handle the horse, most people do not research what they can do. Because today, the Internet, Google is like your best friend. You yeah. can find anything. I, you're, you're such a smarty pants with Google. Okay, you can, you can figure anything out with Google. So it's kind of sad. I still run into so many abused, neglected, unhandled correctly Mustangs. And you can Google many ways to do it. I had the the fortune of 2001 to 2004, I traveled out west. And I say out west because it was from Kansas, Colorado, Oregon, California, Texas, um, all these workshops that I went to, Utah as well. And I worked with people that were wild horse enthusiasts. We did a five-day wild horse mentor clinic. And I met the nicest people from around America that worked with Mustangs, and that was in 2001 to 2004, and that really gave me so much knowledge, more knowledge, to work with these horses. So in 2007, I became a nonprofit. Um, I prior from 89 to 2007, I was adopting and working and mentoring and helping people with their Mustangs, and uh, I started taking rescues in 2001 as coming in and staying with me. So by 07, I became a nonprofit because I'd already acquired quite a few difficult-to-handle Mustangs. Okay. Well, I know that you have some uh, wine uh, wine tastings, <laughs> and, and people can come out and meet the horses and meet you and see your center. So tell us about we, those. Well, we have on the first Saturday... And I know it might be a little tough in the summer, but we're still able to do it in the summer because the evening time is beautiful. So we're doing from 5 to 8 p.m. 
And we do like to know if you're coming or if you have any special dietary. Um, a lot of times we ask people to get a hold of us, and, and we do a variety of wines. We always have some fruit and cheesecake and maybe some little finger foods. And what we do is uh, walk around. You can meet all the horses. You can have a glass of wine. You can sit underneath our beautiful oak trees. We can chat about the rescue and about animals and about your life stories as well. So we do that on the first Saturday from 5 to 8 p.m. here at Wild Horse Rescue. On the third Saturday, we do wine and painting. So you come out again at 5, and we we also have regular refreshments. You don't always have to drink wine. We have a little cafe. It's called our Coffee Cafe because it's really small, and it's for our coffee, our Gatorade, our waters, and then we also use it for our wine in there. And uh, so that Saturday, the third Saturday of every month, we do uh, art projects. This um, one, we're doing a cowboy boot, and boy, it looks amazing. The artist is <laughs> Kelby uh, Farmsworth. She's my trainer as well, and she loves artwork. So uh, Kelby uh, has the people paint a painting. She comes up with an idea and then has them do it on the canvas. And then on the first and third Wednesday at noon, we do a reading program for children. Um, we have a little girl, she's four, Jade was in the picture on the paper. Uh, with uh, She was in there with a halflinger named Joey. Uh, so we do a reading program called the Black Stallion Literary Program, and we always are reading books. Um, all of them are usually geared towards animals. So we might have a farm book or a horse book, but it's story time for little ones. And that way, then they get a tour. They get to see our cows and our pigs and our miniature horses and the chickens and the ducks and the horses. So you give them like a little farm tour. Oh, okay. Well, then people can really become very familiar with your place. And I know you're a very busy person, Diane Delano. And so thank you for all the work you've done, you're doing, you will do. And giving us this time today, I really do appreciate it. Well, I appreciate it so much for giving us time and people are welcome to give us a call come out and visit uh, we do special occasions as well we had a group come and want to do painting by themselves as 12 people we have a group of nine nine-year-old uh, a photographer for the villages uh, has a nine-year-old and she's gotten her classmates involved and they're coming out for a education day about mustangs as well as a little art project with us and, and bring in their lunch and the number is 321-427-1523. Isn't that right? That is correct. And then wildhorserescuecenter.org. We have a Facebook page and an Instagram page. And uh, we just love, I, as you see, I love talking about my horses. So it's, we love having people want to come and learn about them. Uh, we also have dogs for adoption. Sometimes we actually have a couple dogs, and uh, so that's easier to keep in your backyard than a horse. <laughs> and you can sponsor our horses. So if you can't adopt a horse, maybe you would like to sponsor a horse. We have several people that help by giving a monthly donation, and that just helps with the care, the hay, the feed, the veterinarian, the farrier care of those horses. Okay, well, Diane uh, Delano, thanks so much for giving us this time today and all the work you do. And you do take care and do take care of your horses, okay? Okay, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Have a good day. Bye. 
And uh, you are listening to WMNF Tampa, Sarasota Clearwater Community Conscious Radio. Well, let's put this music back on, and then we are going to get in touch with Lisa Perry. a giant. It was smaller, much by far, but not quite microscopic. His name was Davy, the short one, the big guy was Goliath. I don't read the Bible much, in fact, it's more like never. But I still think it's really cool that Davy kicked his butt. Sometimes Davy wins. 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 The real estate executive called into the home office. He said, what a place, what a really great place. Here we go, we struck gold. All the people gathered round the yard, you gotta go, son. Do not need your Wally world, in fact, we can be no fun. Take your big fat assets to another piece of trouble reaching our second guest, Lisa Perry, and she is one very, very busy woman. And so I'm uh, a little surprised because she's so reliable, uh, but not totally surprised because she's so busy. And with everything that's going down right now in Florida, uh, that it's kind of understandable. And so Arlene, do you have any announcements you want to make or anything like that? Um, 
Thanks to everyone. We've been sending, we've been getting some very nice emails from people, and we appreciate that. We've also had um, some real interest from a number of listeners in the um, horse rescue, and so um, I'll post something about that on the um, Facebook page. And I hope that uh, I, I've been trying also to reach Lisa and haven't had much luck yet, so... Well, you know that, uh, uh, Arlene, do you want to talk a little bit about Selby Gardens here? I'm just going to cue something else up because I'm hoping we can still get Lisa. So uh, you just you just talk a little bit about Selby Gardens. Um, well, we're, we're really happy to know that Selby Gardens is into a large expansion in downtown Sarasota and that they're going to be having organic gardens where they were going to be growing edible food. It's my understanding that they'll be having a restaurant there that serves foods that they have raised in the gardens, um, <clears throat> that it will be quite a, a center for downtown Sarasota and quite a lovely place to visit and to spend time in. So I was glad to read about it a few, I guess a week or so ago in the paper and you might want to check it out. The first, I believe they're doing their expansion in three phases, but the first phase is the major one, and they have both raised most of the money that they need for that, although they still need a little, and then they will have two more phases coming up, but I believe they're hoping to have the first phase finished sometime within this year. You know, Arlene, uh, thinking about the emails coming in, <laughs> we have had so many Great moments here. And Laura Love, she's one of my very favorites. And uh, way, way back when we first started doing the show, uh, that uh, we were on Saturdays, and it was a two-hour show. And Heat Wave was coming up. And so we were really all promoting Heat Wave. And so uh, Randy uh, Wynn was the program director then. And he asked me would I interview some of the women that were coming. And Laura loved particularly. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm not really, uh, you know, I love music, but I really don't know the keys and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but I love the lyrics and I love to listen to it. And so I said, I'll give it a try. And you also really like to know something about the singer or the musician behind the music. And I believe the concert that at that time was actually a women's concert being done on Memorial Day weekend. Um, all three groups that were performing were groups of women, and you were interviewing all three. And we had a terrific thunderstorm that yes, morning. <laughs> took us off the air for a while. And Laura Love was to be the third interview and, of course, by the time you got to her, it was almost time for the 60s show. But Randy happened to be substituting on the 60s show that day. And so he said, please, Mary, take all the time you need to interview Laura well. <laughs> and so Laura Love came in. You know, she's got this big smile. She is just a really sweet, fun person. And uh, one of my favorite songs, I, I almost played it today, uh, she moves her booty. 
<laughs> and she's got a special song for that, and it was hysterical because it was heat wave, and heat wave for those of you who have never experienced it is kind of shoulder to shoulder people, and so she's dancing on stage, and everybody else is too, and it was just a hoot. But anyway, uh, so you know, we were talking about her music, et cetera, and she lives in Seattle most of the time, and uh, some of her projects, et cetera, and not the least of which is that she really loves nature very much, and so when she started to make a little money from her songwriting and giving her concerts that she decided she was going to adopt this river that goes through quite a bit of this area where she lives in Seattle. And so bit by bit, she, she would buy, you know, five, ten acres, and so she managed to save this river. And so I was really fascinated by her. But uh, so we went back, and, uh, you know, I said, well, Laura, how did you get into this? And she said, well, she says, you know, uh, my mother had a lot of problems. Uh, she uh, was bipolar and a bit schizophrenic. And so she would have some really bad periods. And my sister and I, and so we lived in this basement apartment. And uh, above us was this uh, uh, some kind of a, 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 I think it was a, 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 some kind of a training center, and luckily they had some kind of an event that day. And so Laura and her little sister came in, and she said, we found our mother hanging, you know, from the ceiling. And so Laura said, we both grabbed her by the legs and tried to hold her up. And she said, I always did have a really loud voice. So she said, I started screaming at the top of my voice. And people heard us and they came down. And uh, that was Laura Love. And so I play her and every time I play her, she's just a really special person. If you have a chance to see her, uh, go to a concert, you really will enjoy it. It's a very, very special affair. And uh, <laughs> I, I still get goosebumps every time I think about her talking on the show about that situation. She, and she, I think, was seven and her sister was five. Yeah. And just... they were, they literally saved their mother's life. And I just have never forgotten it. And it also reminds me, because it was in about that same period, we had this uh, yoga instructor and meditation instructor from California. And uh, she was talking, she came in, and she was talking about uh, walking meditation. Do you remember this, Arlene? This was in the old building. I certainly do. <laughs> this was in the old building, not not this building. And we were, you know, we were jammed together like sardines in that house. And it needed serious repairs. And they were doing roofing repairs because it was in dire need. And so she was going through very calmly, talking about, you know, the type of mantras you would say and what you would do. And all of a sudden, the pounding started on the roof, <laughs> and some of the the lining came down in the studio, and it's falling on our heads. And you have never seen a walking meditation so fast get, <laughs> get out of a studio, and it was <laughs> it was kind of par for the course. 
but probably the best time was the studio. You know, Dr. J would be doing the Kiss 60 show right after us. And, you know, Florida gets some really barn burner storms. And so a really bad storm hit. And Dr. J had just started doing the 60 show. And I was putting away for some CDs from our show. And all of a sudden, the building got hit. And, I mean, everything, boom, went out. And Dr. J came out of that studio so fast, and I kid you not, he was being followed by this blue ball, looked like a blue ball, of lightning. And I, I said, run, Dr. J, run. <laughs> and uh, it's, I'll tell you, to be at WMNF, it followed him right down the hallway, really too. I, I'll never I, forget that. I was really worried about him. I thought, what? what? But Dr. J was a pretty fast runner, luckily. <laughs> he, he, he made it. And everything was okay. The station, the wiring and whatever was knocked off the air for a couple of weeks, but or was out of commission for a couple of weeks, but we were back on the air with a kind of uh, gerrymandered ringing uh, within a matter of, I think that time it was two or three days. But the amazing thing was that shortly after we moved into this building, yes, we, you know, the brand new building, we right. had another barred burner storm. It was yeah. also a day of an event for WMNF, yeah. an outdoor event. And Dr. J was on the air and it hit and he came running out of the studio here and the blue ball was again right behind him. Well, and you were in, there was a vestibule between yes. the studio and the library. I was in the library putting away CDs, and it hit, and I saw it come right down through, and it knocked out, well, we, we had to go on generator, it knocked out all of our computers. We took a terrible hit, and really, literally, it melted the metal, the metal supported, uh, you know, the listening stations, and the listening station that I was looking at, you know, responding to that crash, it melted into the, the counter. It was that bad of a hit. And our wonderful engineer at that time, Bill Brown, yeah, yeah. got one production studio up and running. Yeah. But that meant that you could not in any way connect with the front door or anything else. So it led to some other problems and some other issues for particularly the uh, during-the-night programmers. Well, but we lived through it, and we have this beautiful station uh, now, fully repaired and fully op operational, and some things have already been replaced in this station. Well, it's the people. I mean, WMNF is a very special tribe. It really is. Uh, it's it's they're innovative, they're creative, they care, and uh, they they aren't thrown off totally their their skis if, if things go wrong. And uh, it perhaps best exemplified, uh, you know, that they needed to move the aerial and uh, couldn't afford, you know, the kind of a truck you need to do that in a hoist. So they carried it, <laughs> you know, carried it down the street. And uh, that, that's the spirit of WMNF. And I can, oh, I, I have no doubt because I so believe in people and believe in the kind of people that listen to WMNF that this station will continue for another 40, 50 years. I hope it continues in perpetuity. And so, but, uh, and, and this next performer, uh, I'm going to play her song because I dearly love it, Liza Gilkison, uh, again, one of my real favorites, and I play her a lot. And uh, Eliza is very thoughtful, 
and I have liked Laura, uh, Eliza's music ever since she was back in the, the new age time. Uh, but uh, once Bush got in office, and this was uh, uh, W. George W., uh, that uh, she went political. And so she got off the new age kick. And uh, if you haven't ever listened to her uh, CD on, uh, when she's talking about man of God, <laughs> about uh, W., and uh, it's about oil. I mean, she is really something. But the, I remember when I was interviewing her because she's in Texas. She lives in Austin. And uh, she's very much community-oriented, and she helps the homeless. She particularly helps vets. She has a lot of concerts for vets and, uh, you know, really looks after them a great deal and tries to get them out of the dumpster diving, et cetera. And so uh, we were talking. I was interviewing her about her latest CD. And she said, you know, Mary, she said, I have realized, she said, that uh, we're kind of going to hell in a handbasket here, and there seems to be nothing stopped. And he, she, she said, whether it's the corporate taking over of everything, or she said, I'm really worried about the climate. She said, we can't keep doing this. We can't keep treating it, you know, as it's just our waste receptacle for everything. And she said, I, I she said, was really worried what I was leaving to my grandchildren. And she said, I was really feeling guilty and trying to figure out everything we could do to be sustainable and not leave this kind of a world for our grandchildren. But she said, it's happening right now in my lifetime. And she said, I just never thought it would come be this bad. And I said, well, Liza, I said, you know, I said, we... I said, we have to save ourselves first. I said, I mean, you know, if we, can't, if we can't save ourselves, how on earth can we even recognize that the planet's desperately struggling? And this is a really kind of a typical, if you will, uh, Eliza Gilkson, uh, you know, very hard tongue-in-cheek. And so let's listen to Beautiful World. I, I really love this.
You know, it really is a beautiful world. It really is. And filled with a lot of beautiful people. And, you know, we never want to forget, you know, that uh, most people are good, they're kind, they care about each other, they want a world that's better for their children and their grandchildren, the seventh generation down the line. And I think that, you know, that sometimes the bad and the ugly and the ones who are really kind of misanthropic uh, get too much attention and uh, don't pay so much attention to them. Uh, don't try and make a perfect world. <laughs> it can't be done. If you try and make it perfect, you take all the fun out of it. And you always want to have the fun and the joy and the hope and just the beauty, the absolute beauty and the excitement of always finding something different. There's always something different. The next day, behind a different door, uh, a different person, it's just a constant, I don't know, I find it just scintillating all the time. And don't you, Arlene? Yes, I do, and I think you said it beautifully, Mary. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, one of the keys to finding some of those bits of beauty and of interest is WMNF. What would this community do without this wonderful community radio station? Yeah, it's the beauty of people. I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, just... Uh, we're part of air. I mean, we need the air. We need the water. We, whether we like it or not, we need to be part of nature. Without nature, we don't exist. And so the Native people have it right. They see the Great Spirit through everything. You know, it's all connected. The above, below, it's all connected. And so I think... So anyway, uh, thank you so much uh, for supporting uh, Arlene and I. It's been just marvelous trip. Really, it really has been. It's been just, I love information. I just do. I love ideas. I love knowledge. And knowledge is to be shared because people will add little bits and pieces and you'll learn so much more than you thought you knew before. And so just give it a chance to happen. And so just keep it tuned to WMNF 88.5, uh, the best little community radio station going. Or WMNF.org. Or you can just ask your smart speaker to tune in. Okay, so let's go out again with Eliza Gilkson, a little, a little more uh, <laughs> criticizing uh, mood in this one, but uh, keep it tuned here, people, and do take care. And you are listening to WMF Tampa.